wear mine up here. Uh, I will stand for the flag. Uh, it's amazing what's going on in our country. It's hard to even believe. Um, if if this isn't who is the stuff that we've heard over the last few days is, is uh, appalling. To think somebody could actually, what? you can't hear it? Is it on? It's on. Okay. Um, could actually take over a portion of a major city in the United States and declare it a sovereign nation. Um, I never thought I'd see that happen, honestly. And yet, uh, that's what's going on. I heard something about uh, Nashville. They're going after Nashville now. They've got Seattle. They're going after more areas of Seattle. And my personal opinion, for what it's worth, is that they need to clean that mess out, and they need to do it today and not tomorrow. It's exactly what they need to do. You don't do that and disrespect the nation and the flag you're a part of. There are ways built in to change it. It might be difficult, but it's designed to be difficult because it's supposed to take a consensus to be able to get something done. There have been some things happen that have obviously been wrong, But uh, two wrongs don't make a right, and I'll stand by that as long as I stand up or lay down or take a breath. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we are going to study something that looks really good in light of uh, what's going on now. And it's a thing called the millennium. So before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer, get ourselves ready to study the Word of God. This is what people have been looking for for about 6,000 years so far that we know of. And uh, I think we're, uh, uh, of course, we're always one day closer, but I think it's a whole lot closer than it is farther away. So uh, let's take a moment for prayer. It is about prophecy, and prophecy is revealed by the Holy Spirit. So we need to go in front of the throne of grace in order to be taught by the one who is the real teacher. Let us pray. Father, we're so blessed, and we are blessed because we are related to you, not by anything we did, but, Father, by your act of adopting us as children into your family. The moment we put our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we became his brother, your children, and, Father, that is that is a, a great blessing beyond really anything we can comprehend at this point in time in our life. But we thank you for it. We thank you for what you have promised us in the future. Father, we thank you for this this time of peace and prosperity and all those events that people want so badly, but they want it without you. And Father, it's just not going to happen without you according to what your book has to say. So Father, I pray that we would get uh, a, a good meal this morning on what your book has to say about this coming time that is described as the millennial kingdom. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would nourish our souls with it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're, uh, we've, we've kind of progressed quite a ways on through here. First thing we started off with was why do we bother to study prophecy? 
Well, it's a third of the Scripture for one thing. So if you're going to view all Scripture as profitable, then uh, prophecy is clearly at least a third of Scripture. So we need to study it. It's part of being profitable. It's part of studying the whole counsel of God. It is part of getting what the promises are and what God's plan for the future is. Uh, So why bother to study it? We also learn in how do you go about interpreting. It's simple hermeneutical principles, the principles of um, study that uh, that most anybody would use. You look at the book that uh, has a divine author. You accept what the divine author has to say, and you and you you interpret the world according to what the divine being has to say about the world, not the way you want the world to be, but the the way that he says it is. How do we go about interpreting prophecy? And this is the principles of hermeneutics that are applicable to to uh, every part of Scripture. Then we looked at the next great prophetic event, which we know as the rapture. Everybody's looking forward to that more. Uh, Has anybody been praying more diligently for Jesus to come back over the last few days? I certainly hope so. Uh, Even so, come, Yeshua HaMashiach, come on when you can. When does it happen, the timing? We don't know the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour. But what we do know is that we're getting close because there are all kinds of signs. Call it that. That's that's actually what it is. There are all kinds of things going on in this world that tell us that we are in the final generation. Not the least of which is the fact that Israel is back in the land and in possession of that piece of real estate. When does it happen? What factors affect the timing? There has to be certain entities in place at the at the timing of the end times. We know kings of the east have to be there with a 200 million man army. King of the north in place. King of the west has to has to be there or at least a confederation that can come together after the rapture of the church. King of the south is starting to come together. It doesn't have to happen before the rapture, but it's all set up to happen real quickly after the rapture. The uh, last bastion of uh, uh, resistance, if you will, to the onslaught of Islam in Africa are the Christians. So what's going to happen to Africa when the Christians are raptured out of there and they're no longer around? The What factors affect the uh, timing that uh, uh, as to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens at the rapture? Well, we're going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and uh, this mortal is going to put on immortality. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptibility. What happens at the rapture? Uh, G is the end-time nations. We've seen, I just went through them, king of the north, kings of the east. The end-time nations, that also includes Israel, Religious Babylon and economic Babylon are all in place. Then we have the events following the rapture on earth. And that's where we studied the tribulation. Spent a great deal of time doing that. We've uh, been through the chart multiple times. Hopefully you're familiar with the chart. Looking and hopefully understanding some of the arguments as to why certain things happen at certain points during the, the tribulational 
period. But there are events that are laid out prophetically, and there's a great deal of information on the uh, tribulational time span, the 70th week of Daniel, if you will, one seven-year period, 2,520 days. We're given an exact time table of the of the tribulation. And now where we are is the millennium. Now, the millennium is a thousand years. That's what millennium means. It's a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And so... <coughs> What we're going to look at is uh, some of the characteristics of the millennium. We'll just start into it. Now, remember it, the millennium begins with the final battle of Armageddon. We have been through what goes on there at the right around the city of Jerusalem. The king of the north is invaded, uh, came through, swept down between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean, went down, defeated the king of the south, and then and the kings of the east are arriving at the south end of the Dead Sea. The king of the west, the Antichrist, is in the in the plain of Israelan, and he is coming to honor his covenant of death that he made with Israel. The king of the north hears rumors from the east and from the west that his basically his supply lines are being cut off. So he turns back and he lays siege to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has become an intoxicant to all the nations. In the meantime, you find the sealed judgments being carried out, the famine, the death, the proclamation of peace, if you will, the great peace movement, martyrdom going on, geological upheaval going on, signs in the heavens, men fainting from fear from what is coming on the earth, things going on that 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 uh, I think is just going to blow science away because they're going to probably say we shouldn't be here. And the fact of the matter is planet Earth should not be here anymore, but the Lord is keeping it together. When he comes back, it says in Zechariah 14, it's a day unlike any other day, any time in history. Never has there been a day like it. And the Lord comes back. He splits the Mount of Olives and the remaining remnant of Jews run through like they did the Dead Sea some 3,500 years earlier. He splits the Mount of Olives and they run through and then he fights. Now this final battle, Armageddon, is a campaign. It is a series of battles culminating in a final battle. And whenever he sets foot on the Mount of Olives and he splits it in half, he calls down fire out of heaven. Ezekiel 38 and 39 destroys the king of the north. He speaks and takes care of the Antichrist, old big mouth himself, enters into hand-to-hand combat with the kings of the east at the south end of the Dead Sea. That's where the blood runs to the horse's bridles for 200 miles. And so this is the, the final battle. And what does it do? It ushers in the millennial kingdom. But notice... It begins with the final battle of Armageddon. Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. So it is telling us that the 2,520 days have been completed. And on the 2,521st day, that's when all this happens. It says that the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth 
will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. It's similar to the rapture because he comes with the clouds, but that's the reaping over the earth. There he takes out the righteous, that's us, and he leaves the wicked. The second advent, he's going to take out the wicked and he's going to leave the righteous to inherit the millennial kingdom. Now, where does the millennium come from? And that's the next point. The millennial kingdom will last for a thousand years with all things subjected to Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of passages dealing with the millennium uh, over the uh, course of the Bible, scattered throughout different parts. Jeremiah 30 through 33, Isaiah 60 through 66, Ezekiel 40 through 48. There are a lot of passages dealing with the millennial kingdom. And the Jews kept wanting this millennial kingdom. They wanted the physical kingdom, but they did not see that they had to get there through the spiritual kingdom, which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they rejected him at the first advent. He did not come to be a conqueror. He did not come to judge. He came to give his life as a ransom for the many, and he accomplished it. When he comes back, though, he is coming as the judge. And he is going to defeat all of his enemies. See, that's a prophecy that has to be fulfilled. When he, all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. It has not yet been fulfilled, and it has to be fulfilled. Revelation 20, if you want to turn there... Uh, Quickly, I'd give you just a... This is where the concept, where the concept of the millennium comes from. Where is a good Oklahoma term for where. I like Earl for oil. Anyway, Revelation 20, first verse, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan. <laughs> it, it, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit realizes just how dumb we really are. Sometimes we can't seem to put together the puzzle pieces. So occasionally he says, the dragon. Okay, in case you missed it. <laughs> serpent of old, Genesis 3. The devil, that's the slanderer, and Satan, Satan, the adversary, and he bound him for a thousand years. That's where the millennial kingdom comes from. He threw him into the bet, into the abyss. He shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he'll be released for a short time. I saw thrones, they who sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, this is an important passage. It's a very important passage. Because it's telling us some things about the order of resurrection of believers. This is a significant theological passage for a lot of reasons. The rest of the dead did not come to life till the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. 
Over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Now, that's, that's us. Now, how is, what is this first resurrection involved? Well, it comes in four stages. And we have to go to other parts of Scripture to find out what it is. I had a conversation with a young man one time that was convinced that the first resurrection was the only resurrection and that they, there was only going to be one resurrection and it was after the millennial kingdom was going to, was going to take place. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us this beautiful passage starting in verse 23, each in his own order, Christ the first fruit. Here he's talking in context about resurrection. And he basically says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, our teaching is in vain. We are still lost in our sins. We have a problem. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, that, that is a uh, big mistake. Christ the first fruit. Okay, that's Alpha Company. I've seen it called... A, B, C, and D, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. I've seen it all mixed up and called a whole lot of different things. But it comes in four stages. And this is the first stage. This is Christ, His resurrection. After that, those who are Christ that is coming. And who's that? That's the church. We are Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Our resurrection for the church age is going to happen at this time called the rapture. It says... Then comes the end. End of what? Well, it's the end of the age of Israel when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father. When does he do that? When he makes all his enemies a footstool for his feet. See, keep reading. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. So, the first three stages are Jesus Christ, the rapture, and the second advent. Because when he defeats all of his enemies, that is when another resurrection is going to occur. The resurrection of Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. The resurrection that we just read about earlier in Revelation 20. So there are, there are three resurrections so far. But then the, it says, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now this connects us to uh, do back to Revelation 20 that says there's going to be a revelation at the end of the age of Israel and a thousand years later is going to be another resurrection. Okay, That resurrection a thousand years later will include unbelievers who will be sentenced to the lake of fire. But it also includes believers who have died during the millennial kingdom. Now there's a mistaken viewpoint that floats around. Uh, we've dealt with it overseas multiple times that um, there won't be any death in the millennial kingdom. That's not what it says. What it says is that lifespans will be extended. Okay? doesn't say there won't be any death. Now, you and I will be in resurrection body. So there's no more death for us. We're not going to die. But what about those 144,000 male virgin Jews? They're human beings... They do have sin natures, even though they kept themselves chaste for that seven years. They are mere humans like you and I. Who, are, who is left? The sheep of Matthew 25. Who are they? They are human earth dwellers. 
if you will. They have sin natures. They, but everybody starts the millennium saved. But then it says, and we'll read a verse, maybe get to it today. The earth will be repopulated to the point that it was before. Now think what has happened. Okay? The first group of judgments killed a fourth of mankind. Okay? The kings of the east killed a third of mankind. That means half of it's gone. You have about one-sixth of the world, if that's true, that profess to be Christians. They're gone. Then you start looking at all the death that happens throughout the, the course of the tribulation based on all the judgments that's going on. There's a lot of people gone <laughs> by the time of the second advent. But how does it get repopulated? It's not repopulated with people that cannot die anymore because we're not going to marry or be given in marriage. We're not going to produce any more children. So how's it going to be repopulated? With the human beings that survived the tribulation and that they became the, the early part, they became the millennial kingdom. The 144,000 being the primary first residents, first citizens of the millennial kingdom. And they will be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth back up again over the course of the thousand years. But these offspring still have to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay? That is still a requirement. The gospel is an eternal gospel. So they are not born saved. They are born fallen with sin natures just like you and I. That's how it happens. Now, so he says, he must put all things in subjection under his feet. When he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. Talking about the Father and the Son and their relationship. But the last enemy that will be abolished is death. When is that? After the millennium. So the first resurrection, as it's called, for believers comes in four stages. Jesus Christ, the rapture, the second advent, and after the millennial kingdom. Okay? The second resurrection is unbelievers. And you don't want to be a part of that. That's part of the whole argument of Revelation uh, chapter 20. So it's going to last for a thousand years with all things subjected to Jesus Christ. Now, the millennial kingdom is designed to complete and fulfill all the covenants to Israel, including the Abrahamic. What did God promise Abraham? Land from the Euphrates to the river of Egypt. Some say it's the Nile. I once at one time did. I think it's the Wadi El Arish, that little brook running through there right now. But it's called the river and the Nahar of Egypt. I think it is going to be the uh, a full-bore river by the time of the millennial kingdom. I think the topography will be changed enough and it's not going to be wet and dry. It's going to be a real river there, the river of Egypt. But in any event, you have a chunk of land promised to Abraham that the Jews have never possessed. They've not gotten it all. So did God make a mistake? Or is he going to bring Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob back? Resurrection. Second Advent. Old Testament saints. Okay? He's going to bring them back and give it to them, isn't he? It's exactly what he's going to do. Moses wasn't permitted to go into the land, remember? But Moses is going to be back in the land, actually in the tribulation. He's going to be there for 
just long enough to get killed. <laughs> so they, some people won't like him back. But the, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, a king that's going to sit on the throne forever, Palestinian covenant that deals with the land, and the new covenants to Israel and the church. This will, these will all be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And if you want to turn there, we're going to read through that. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you. Keep in mind, we're just about at the end of the writings of Moses here. Uh, Deuteronomy is over. He's given Deuteronomy is reviewing a lot of things the Jews need to remember. And also, when you pick up about chapter 30, right along here, you get into prophecies of Moses, the Moses, Moses the prophet. And he says, When all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you, will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. Now, this is the base prophecy that we get progressive revelation fills in some other things that goes on because what's going to happen at the second advent the Lord's going to send forth his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds of the earth Okay, who's going to be left there the believers are going to be left and he's going to supernaturally regather Israel at the second advent and they will all be in belief the goats will be gone they'll be uh, split out the wheat and the chaff they'll be gone he says, where the Lord your God has scattered you, if you're, at, if you're outcast or at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there He will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Now see, these are, this is a dispersion and a final regathering. Because Israel's kind of come and gone in their land for, you know, the, all of their history. But this is a final regathering clearly prophesied by Moses. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. That means take all the human viewpoint out of it. The circumcision of the heart is take away unnecessary stuff. So the unnecessary stuff is all the bad worldviews, the false worldviews. And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. That's the way the millennial kingdom is going to start. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies. Does that sound like making all your enemies a footstool for your feet? And on those who hate you, who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the Lord. <laughs> the Jews did a little bit. Under Moses, the conquest generation, Moses is getting ready to, to be buried by the Lord and taken away, and Joshua lead the conquest generation in. Probably the, the, the greatest generation in the history of Israel. Not the people that left Egypt, but the offspring of those that left Egypt. 
and observe all his commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand and the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle and the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he has rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments. Even in a millennial kingdom, there is a requirement for obedience. Faith and obedience. And his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. So it's supposed to complete all these covenants that have been made throughout the millennia leading up to it. And it's going to bring them all together in the right place in the right time. Now, there's going to be certain spiritual characteristics. These are so important because what you find are people uh, wanting a lot of these things, only they want them without the Lord. They're not going to come about without the Lord. It takes Him to solve the problems. We have problems today of racism. Racism, you know, there's really only one race, but that's not politically correct, and people get upset with you when you say that. If you believe the Bible, there's a race that comes from Adam, and the rest deals with genetic differentiations, genetic differentials. The Bible calls things families, tribes, nations, that we are the ones, human beings are the ones that made those divisions. We all are born with a sin nature, with a sin of Adam imputed to us. And with this sin nature, I think, comes an inherent distrust of anybody that's different. Now just stop and think about it for a little bit. Cain and Abel, that goes way back, doesn't it? What happened? Well, one did things God's way, one did things the other way, and decided that the guy that did things God's way wasn't worth keeping around. So he got rid of him. What happened after that? You have the Tower of Babel. So if you believe the Bible and don't just call them fairy tales like a lot of people do today, that is just shows ignorance to me. That when people call the Bible fairy tales, to me they have not studied it properly. They've not studied it enough to know that the only table of nations given anywhere in ancient history is found in Genesis 10 and 11. It's the only place. That you can find it. And you know what? It explains how people got to different parts of the earth. And it explains how languages got changed and differentiated. It explains things. And it's simple. It's just common sense that you have a common origin. How do you get the ancient zodiac to every continent and planet on the earth with the same 12 major signs in different people groups, language groups, etc., unless you have a common origin. Well, the Tower of Babel explains that. How did you get the, the episode of the flood to every continent on the planet? How do, how do people know about a flood, a great flood, where there was a survivor of, the, of a great flood? Do you think maybe those people carried it? From Babel, how did it cross the oceans? See, there, there. It's ridiculous to look back at what we know from history and say that it didn't have a common origin. It was just a bunch of hominoids or humanoids that managed to raise up through evolutionary theory, and as a result, it developed all these races, and they all came up with the same stories. 
Now that's a fairy tale. If you want a fairy tale, that's a fairy tale. What God says is reasonable. It makes sense. That's how all these commonalities occur. Now, <clears throat> part of this sin nature just looks at people. You know, it, it, <laughs> there's an old song, the Merry Minuet, Kingston Trio. One of the lines is, I don't like anybody very much. And when you look at it, that's the way life is. We look at people that are different. They have different hairstyles. They're different heights. They're different weights. They're different complexions. They're, di they're different. And if we don't like the different part of it, then what do we do? We find a way to build ourselves up. That is, that is the sin nature in the inside. And you're not going to stop it by means of laws. Only Jesus is the one that has the solution that will work. Because he tells us that we are all the same in him. Now, is that what we're going to believe? That's what we need. Is there injustice on this land? I, I went down this road because there's going to be certain spiritual characteristics in the uh, millennial kingdom. Righteousness will be the rule. Number one, Isaiah 11, 5. Isaiah 11, you remember this is the stem that will shoot forth from Jesse. That's that chapter. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Isaiah 32, 16. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. See that will dwell? It's not doing it back when it was written in Isaiah it is talking about a millennial time when righteousness will rule. Psalm eighty nine fourteen, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness. That basically, kesed is loyal love. And truth go before you. This is the, the Lord seated on the throne. Righteousness. And you know the righteousness are by His standards. We have seen righteousness twisted around. People call evil good and good evil. Righteousness is trampled down in the streets. But there is going to be, for a thousand years, real righteousness. A full knowledge of the Lord will be available. These new people born in the millennial kingdom, they're going to have to learn it. They're going to have to learn it, believe it, and live it in order to have the blessings availing them of the millennial kingdom. All of them. They're going to be blessed just by being in the millennial kingdom. They may be jerks, but the rest of the people on the whole will be, will be righteous people. That's the way that, that it is designed. Full knowledge, Isaiah eleven nine. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. These are, this helps explain some passages like, I will write it on their heart, I will put it on their lips. When is this going to happen? It's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be a resurrection of the Old Testament saints, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they'll be able to, to enjoy it. But there is going to be a full knowledge of the Lord in all of the earth throughout the millennial kingdom. Not going to be anybody in darkness. You know, it's kind of like now. We still find lost tribes occasionally. Um, uh, 
Brother uh, Thomas Samuel from India talks about going into uh, various uh, tribal locations and things there in India. And, and uh, he asked them if they ever heard of Jesus. And they thought it was a new kind of cigarette. They had no clue who Jesus was. And occasionally that's what, what you run into still within some of uh, parts of India, Asia, Africa, people have, or South America. They've never heard of this man named Jesus. But a full knowledge will be available. There's not going to be missions to lost tribes in the millennial kingdom. A fullness of the Holy Spirit will be the norm. From Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, It will come about after that I'll pour out my Spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. Rejoicing is going to be the result. That, won't that be nice to have a world guided by righteousness? Shepherd with a rod of iron. Okay, shepherded with a rod of iron. To shepherd somebody requires being a caregiver. It requires not just discipline but compassion. It requires love. There's a whole another difference to that. Isaiah 9, 3, You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase your gladness. What does Isaiah 9, 6 say? Pop quiz. A child will be born to us, and a government shall rest upon his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Eternal Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. This is 9.3. You shall increase their gladness. They'll be glad in your presence. As with the har gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Millennial Kingdom will be something else. Justice will be the standard. From Isaiah 9.7, there'll be no end. See, that's after that verse just quoted there about a child being born to us. It's interesting how a child can be born to you and he be called eternal father. How can that happen? You know, the Lord likes these anomalies, doesn't he? He likes these con apparent contradictions and things. And people say, well, how's this going to happen and how's that going to happen? It couldn't happen. Just, and God just says, watch. How can it be God and man at the same time? Huh? How can David call him Lord and he be David's son? Only one answer. See, the answer sometimes is very, very simple. We just don't want to hear it. Just like reasonableness, righteousness, justice, often very, very simple. We just don't want to hear it. There'll be no end to the increase of his government. Or peace. Now let's put this. What is happening during the tribulational period? There's a massive peace movement. <laughs> Do they bring about peace? No. They bring about the biggest war in the history of the world. Is what they bring about. But who ushers in this thousand years of peace? He says, Or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant. This is his servant, the branch, introduced in Isaiah 11. Whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. Now, do you remember some voice coming out of heaven one time at the baptism and at the transfiguration? Behold my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. You think that the Jews maybe have read this, my chosen one in whom my soul delights? Guess what, what the Father did there. He just said, this is my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. This is saying, this is dealing with the first advent. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. It's interesting because sometimes we might feel like that dimly burning wick, right? But it says he won't extinguish it. That's one of the promises we can hang on to. When things get really bad, we could go, well, he's not going to put it out. It might get tough, but it's getting tough, so we'll depend on him all the more. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-five: The wolf and the lamb will graze together. Boy, that's where people have been going with that. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. When this comes, Isaiah 65, remember Isaiah 60 to 66 is primarily millennial. And when it all comes about, the Lord is going to take over. He is going to rule accordingly in absolute righteousness and in justice, but also in faithfulness. Verbal sins are going to be minimized. Zephaniah three nine, I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. What have the Jews been notorious for over the last... Uh, well, since they were Jews? Following other gods. What was the first commandments he said? You shall have no other gods beside me. I'm it. Why? That was their biggest stumbling block. Why did they they worship the Baals? Everybody that come along, or every god, that so-called god that came along, they worship. You know, they weren't too upset with Dagon, the fish god of the Philistines. Okay, they really weren't all that upset with him as long as they were getting fish to eat. Instead of saying, no, that shouldn't even be there. There's going to be certain physical characteristics. This is the millennial kingdom. There will be no more war. What does Jesus say? That prior to this time, there will be wars and rumors of wars. That's what's going to happen. Isaiah 2.4, He will judge between the nations. He will render decisions for many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares 
and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. That's a direct statement out of the Bible, isn't it? You just thought it was a song from the fifth dimension. A lot of people did. Actually, it comes out of Isaiah. It's just wrenched out of context to bring brought into modern society thinking that we are the messiahs and we are going to do this. That's foolishness. Micah 4.3, he'll judge between many peoples, render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. You know, that's a, I understand, I haven't been there to the United Nations, but I understand they have a sculptor out there of somebody hammering their swords into a plowshare. And their spears into pruning hooks. The UN is not going to bring this about. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. I find it interesting the millennial kingdom has nations in it. For all the globalists that are out there, and want to turn do away with all borders, the divine design is national entities. Oh, we'll even get better than that when we get to Revelation 21, 22, when the nations come to the new Jerusalem in the eternal state. Even in the eternal state, there will be nations. Just not going to be fighting with each other. There will be a great agricultural prosperity, but the Edenic curse will remain until the new heavens and the new earth. Genesis 3.17, that's where the Edenic curse is. Thorns and thistles are going to grow for you. Joel 2.24, the threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats overflow with new wine and oil. They make up for you for the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You'll have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you and my people will never be put to shame. I'll make around them, Ezekiel 34, that I will make them in the places around my hill a blessing. I'll cause showers to come down in their season. There'll be showers of blessing. Anybody ever sing that song? There shall be showers of blessing. Guess when it's going to be? <laughs> Millennial kingdom. Also, the tree of the field will yield its fruit, and the earth will yield its increase, and they will be secure in their land. And they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand of those who have enslaved them. So even though there's going to be great agricultural prosperity in the millennial kingdom, they still have to farm the land and till the land. And there is still going to be weeds in their garden. Weeds are so much fun, aren't they? That no matter what you do and how you have them cleared out and how good it looks today, you know with a certainty that weeds are going to pop back up. We have a small box sitting above ground and it has nothing planted in it. But you can find a weed that will come up through there. And yesterday, there were three different weeds in this small box. Now, you look at that and go, rat. And if we look at it spiritually, we go, 
We get weeds in our garden, <laughs> our spiritual garden too. We got to pull them out. We get stuff that comes in there we don't need, stuff in there that will harm the fruit and not let us produce it. Those weeds need to go. They need to go. We probably have to steer clear of Roundup, though, be my guess. But we need to pull those weeds out, hoe them down. We need to do something with them. And that's even in the millennial kingdom, with all of its goodness, there's still going to be weeds to deal with. We're going to have those until there's a new heavens and new earth. I haven't read anything about weeds in the new heavens and the new earth. That'll be nice. There's not going to be any more sin either. So we'll have a whole new, we'll have a whole new, uh, not a new worldview because it'll all be centered around God. We'll have a whole different perspective in the eternal kingdom. Let's pick up here next week. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement found in it. Father, we see the world in a mess like it's never really been before that we have any knowledge of. And Father, we know that uh, that it's, it's not far away till your son comes back. I pray that we would be ready, have oil in our lamps. I pray that we'd be uh, ready for the uh, uh, for the wedding of the lamb. And Father, we may we produce a lot more good between now and then and may it all be done of course to honor you in Jesus name we ask it amen